Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. Today, we are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last four weeks called The Best News. And uh, kind of the goal behind this series, from the very beginning, we made no, we, we, we no secrets about it. Our goal was very, very simple. That when we think about the best news, we want, one of the goals was we want to make sure as a church we know what the best news is, right? We want to understand that there's bad news, and the bad news is we all sin. There's worse news and that you can't do anything on your best day with your best effort to earn your, your forgiveness and earn to be right standing with God. But the good news is that God loved us so much he sent who? Who did he send? He sent Jesus to die for us on the cross. And the best news is that the gift of salvation is a free gift. Nothing you can do to earn it. All you've got to do is receive it. And so one of the goals out of the get-go was to make sure that as a body of believers, we know what is the best news. Another reason, another goal of this series was that we would say, okay, if that's the best news, do I have a passion to share that best news? We want those of us that call ourselves followers of Christ to have a passion to share that best news. And we looked at a guy by the name of Philip. Philip, who had this incredible faith to go and this urgency to share. This guy, when God said, I want you to go share, he just went and he began to share and do we have that kind of passion in us that if we really believe, listen, if we really believe that Jesus' death on the cross and the gospel is something that we can receive and it's a free gift, if that really is the best news, if we really believe that, shouldn't we want to share it? Come on, church, should we want to share it? Sure we should. And so do we have that passion? And then last week, we talked about fears and different kinds of fears that kind of hold us back and keep us from sharing our faith. And in fact, Kent did an incredible job. Let's just give Kent a round of applause. Kent did an incredible job last week. And if you didn't watch it and you go online and watch it, talking about really the three basic kind of fears that we all have that keep us from sharing the gospel, but how to navigate around them, what scripture says about those things. And so today, as we wrap up the series, I just want you to know those goals, hopefully we've met, we've met those, that you now know what the best news is, really know it, that you have a passion to share it, and that you have decided you refuse to let fear keep you from sharing it. And so today, as we wrap this series up, I want to talk about the motivation to share our faith, our motivation. And when you think about motivation, you know, like I played football, you know, Jason, you played football and wrestled. Some of you played football and part of different things. There was always that thing that motivated you. Like when I played football, I was the quiet person. Like I would go in the locker room. Now I'm going to date myself. I would put my Walkman on. How many remember the Walkmans, right? Some of you are like, what's a Walkman? No, it's, it's like, listen, there's a little moment for iPhone, iPods, and all that. I mean, I put my Walkman on, and I would put my cassette tape in to it. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And then I would close it, and I would play. And my motivation song was two songs. One of them was Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> it was. And the second one was Another One Bites the Dust. Before every football game. I will listen to those. And I, I listen, after I got done and listened to that, I could have run through a brick wall. I was so motivated. I was so jacked up. I mean, I was ready to go knock somebody's head off. I mean, I was ready to go. And so I was motivated. And I got to think, as believers, what should motivate us? Like, if we know what the best news is, and we, we want to have a passion for it, and we don't want to let fear stifle that, what, what should motivate us? Now, if I were to ask you, for those of you that are Christians, like, what, what should motivate us to share the, the, the best news? Some of you would say something like this. Well, maybe our love for God. If we really love God, we should want to share the best news. And I would say that's a great motivation. 
It should motivate us. Some of you say, well, Doug, yeah, that, that should motivate us. But just the thought of heaven, right, that somebody could go to heaven and spend eternity in heaven, that should motivate us, thinking that they might get to see the streets of gold. They might get to see the saints that have gone before us. They would get to spend eternity with the physical Lord Jesus forever and ever. That should motivate us that we want people to experience heaven. And I would say both of those are great motivation. But about six weeks ago, as I was praying for today and thinking, God, what passage would you want me to use I feel like there's a third motivation that we don't talk about much in church. A third motivation that I think we need to talk about. And so if you're new to our campus, listen, that we don't talk about this every week, but it's an important topic as we think about the best news. And so now that we know that some motivations are love for God and, and really that the motivation from the standpoint of we want them to experience heaven, but there's a third motivation that I really want to focus on today, and that's the reality of a place called hell. So if you have your Bibles, I want to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 16. Luke, chapter 16. And you've been standing for a while, so I'm going to let you stay seated. The passage is a little bit lengthy. And so I want to read it for us today to get context, and I want to come back to it. Because listen, when you think about and if you're a believer in the room, and you have ever been in church, and you've heard about hell, and all the Bible says about hell, there's something about that that should motivate us to want to share the best news with somebody else. Amen? And so we're going to talk about, in the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus gives us some specific insight into some realities about hell that we're going to talk about. And so if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 16, I'm going to be reading in verse 19, and it says this. Now, there was a rich man, now pause real quick, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and he's basically telling a parable-ish kind of story. He's telling a story to get their attention to help them understand what he wants to say. So there was a rich man, Jesus talking who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was a, laid, uh, a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed and fell with the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to the Abraham side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And would you send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this fire. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are there in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm, having been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, did you get that? Then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest I'll also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But I, if someone goes to them from the dead, in other words, resurrect someone, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should even be risen from the dead. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for the passage today. There is so much here. So God, I pray that you would grab our hearts and our minds and our attention and our focus and hone us in on the truths that you want us to understand today. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this passage, there are three things that I really, some things that I want us to focus on. And here's the first thing. I want us to notice the status of these men, the status of these two men. Go back to verse 19. Notice what it says. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who was feasted sumptuously every day. 
And the gate was a laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we have two kinds of men. What are they? What was the first kind of man? The rich man, and we have who else? The poor man. Now, one thing we learned from the passages, when you think about the status, we have a rich man and we have a poor man. We're going to talk more about that in a minute, but we have a rich man and a poor man. Now, the rich man, obviously, uh, his wealth was on full display. We see that in the passage. We see it because what did he have? He had purple and fine linen, right? In other words, he had clothes, any kind of clothes that money could buy, he had them. I mean, he was not without. So whatever brand of clothes that you think is like the nicest clothes in the world, that is the most expensive in the world, that you couldn't wait to have that purse or that, that pair of jeans or whatever it is, he had them. His wealth was on full display. So everything he wanted from a clothing standpoint, he had the finest of the fine linen, probably Egyptian linen. He had it all. And it says, then he feasted sumptuously. I could get on board with that one, right? I mean, basically what that means is that anything he ever desired to eat was at his disposal. He never went hungry. I mean, anytime he wanted to eat, it wasn't like he passed through a drive-thru. It was they had these major, major feasts, and they would sit down, and anything he would ever want to eat was at his beck and call. So he had everything he wanted. He could eat anything he wanted to. This rich man lived in great wealth and luxury. And then we have a poor man. And the poor man is kind of the opposite of the rich man, right? His poverty was on full display in this passage. Right? Did you notice what it says about him? That this poor man, he was covered with what? Sores. Now, here's basically what that means. That means there was nobody there to care for him. He didn't have a, a wife or a mother or anybody around him, obviously, that was going to come. Because like when your kid gets a boo-boo, what do you do to the boo-boo? You treat it, parents. Come on, be better parents. You treat those parents, things, right? You treat their boo-boos. You put the cream on there. You do all the stuff you're supposed to do and hoping that it will all heal back in the sores. And so this guy is covered in them. There's nobody there to care for him. I thought that was interesting. Have you ever felt like you've been marginalized, outcast, or alone? That's this guy. And it says that he has source covered him, and then it says he sat at the gate of the rich man's house, and he was just waiting for the scraps from his table. That's like someone sitting at your garbage can, waiting for you to take the trash out, hoping to catch a glimpse and a small piece of food and nourishment to keep them thriving and surviving. That was this guy. And it was so bad, did you notice what Jesus added on to the end of this? And even dogs came over and licked his sores. I don't know how down and out you got to be to have a dog lick your sore, but that's a pretty bad place to be, isn't it? So you got a rich man who's living in luxury, and you got a poor man who's living in extreme poverty. Now, I want to say something. I want you to hear me say this, that Jesus' point was not this. Jesus' point was not that your economic status determined your eternity. That was not his point. So when we go through the story here, you might, be, you might be looking at go, well, the rich man, we know where he went, the poor man, so what is that saying about wealth? That's not Jesus' point. His point is not that, that your economic status determines your eternity. That wasn't his point. Because let's be honest, I've known plenty of people that had nothing, that didn't care anything about God. And I've known plenty of people that were loaded. They were wealthy. They were rich by our standards. And I'm going to tell you, those people are some of the most gracious people I've ever met in my life. Those people that I know that have money, they tend to be humble. They understand what God has blessed them with. And they know that everything they have belongs to the Lord and not to them. 
So he's not, this is not a commentary that rich people all go to hell and poor people all go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. However, we also do know this truth, though, that when you have wealth, if you're not spiritually connected to the Lord and you're not walking closely with the Lord, there's a real temptation that wealth become the priority of your life, right? That's why Jesus said it this way, that it's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven. He wasn't saying all rich men don't go to heaven. What he's saying is that when you have stuff, you have a tendency to, to basically get to that place where you don't need God. I've got money. I can pay my bills. I can buy whatever car I want to buy. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm going to have a trip I want to go on. I, I mean, I am so self-sufficient. I am independent. I don't need the Lord. And what Jesus is doing here is he's helping them understand something. Because the Pharisees, whether you believe it or not, the Pharisees were pretty much hooked on money. In fact, do you remember when Jesus went to the temple and he flipped over the tables? Do you know why he flipped over the tables? Because the high priest and the Pharisees were gouging people. They were robbing people blind. They, they wanted money. They were hungry for money. And Jesus talking to Pharisees wants them to understand something. That it's not your economic status does not determine your eternity. But you need to understand something. That if you fall in love with money, if your chief pursuit of your life is the almighty dollar, it's going to take you down a road. It's going to take you down a road of where you think you're independent and you don't need anybody. And consequently, you don't need God. And it's going to lead you down a road of selfishness, where it's all about you. Now, that's exactly what's happened in the story. This rich man has obviously gone down a place. If you notice there, did this rich man show any desire to share his wealth with the poor man? Come on, did he show any desire? No, all he did was spend everything on himself. Now, the fact that he had wealth wasn't sinful. The selfishness and the greed with the wealth. That's what was sinful. Now, I want you to know, as we come to this first little point here, this idea that, that these two, the status of these two men, we need to realize that, that our economic status does not determine our eternity. It does not. You can be wealthy, you can be blue-collar, you can be poor, and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your eternity is going to be apart from him. Period. End of story. So your economic status does not determine your eternity. However, in this story, these guys' economic status was a reflection of their spiritual condition. In fact, that's the second thing I want you to notice with me, and that's the spiritual condition of these men. Look with me in verse 22. Look what he says. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off with Lazarus at his side. So what happened to both these men at some point? They both died. Now listen to me on this. Death is the great equalizer. You've heard it said jokingly by the old, the old, the old preachers, right? There's only two things that are guaranteed in life. One is taxes and the other one's death, right? I mean, all of us are going to die. Unless Jesus comes again, every single one of us room is going to experience death. We are going to die. And death is the great equalizer. So this man who had all this stuff, when he dies, does all that stuff matter anymore? No. And this guy who struggled and struggled and struggled, when he died, did all that struggle matter, any, matter anymore? No. And so what you see is this rich man who was spiritually bankrupt, right? He was spiritually bankrupt. He was a guy that lived a life all about himself, didn't help Lazarus at all, the guy at the gate. He had no desire to help him, and so he was spiritually bankrupt. And where did that land him? It landed him in a place called what? Hades. 
Now, just a real quick, I'm going to jump into a little bit of a mud pit, and then I'm going to get right back out, okay? Real quickly, there's a lot of names in the Bible for this place called hell. Hades is one of them. That's a popular one. Another popular one is Gehenna, and another popular one is the Lake of Fire. I'm not going to talk about all those because they all have a little bit different tone to them. They all imply a little bit different things, but the word hell we use kind of encompasses all those things. And so this guy who was spiritually bankrupt, when he died because he had no relationship with Christ, where did he end up going? He ended up going to Hades or hell. And then you have the poor guy, and this poor guy must have been a God-fearing man, must have been a man who trusted God, must have been a guy who loved the Lord, must have been that guy because it says when he died, where did he end up? The angels carried him and took him where? To Abraham's side. Now, Abraham's side is just a picture of being together with the Lord. So you've got a rich man who's spiritually bankrupt, and you've got a poor man who's a God-fearing, trusting the Lord kind of guy. One ends up in heaven, and the other ends up in eternity separated from God. That's these two man's condition. Now, what I want you to notice, which I find fascinating in the story, is this. Did you notice the role reversal? The rich man had earthly wealth, but was spiritually bankrupt. The poor man was earthly bankrupt, but was spiritually wealthy. Did you see that? Now, why would Jesus make this point? Because he said it in other places, too. Jesus says things like this. Who would gain the whole world, but yet lose his very soul? What Jesus' point is this to the Pharisees, like, do you want to spend your life chasing the almighty dollar? Do you want to spend your life chasing the earthly wealth that this world provides? Do you want to spend your life chasing that? Because in the end, what matters most is, are you spiritually bankrupt? Are you spiritually wealthy? Do you have a relationship with me or do you not have a relationship with me? That's what eternally matters. And which one do you want to spend your life chasing? Now, I just have a question for you. Which one are you chasing? Which one are we chasing this morning? Now, is, is Doug, or more importantly, is Jesus saying that having wealth is bad? Is he saying that? No, so I'm not sure. No, he's not saying that. But when wealth and earthly goods become the chief desire and pursuit of our life, at that point, it is sinful. And this rich man who was spiritually bankrupt would pay an eternal consequence for it. And the poor man who was spiritually wealthy would receive reward. See, it's really not about economics. It's about the heart of the two men. One loved the Lord and the other did not. One was dependent on the Lord and the other didn't need the Lord. So which one are you going to chase? And can we be honest? Don't we live in a world where we want to chase the almighty dollar? Come on, isn't that true? I mean, we see commercials, we have things in front of us all the time. It's about pursuing and chasing. And listen, you need to be wise with your money. You need to provide for your family. You need to save some money. You need to do, I, I mean, I, I'm all pro all that stuff. If you're a Dave Ramsey person, wonderful. We need to be about all that stuff. But if that is the chief pursuit of our life, we are missing something. If what we have and don't have financially determines who we are and our wealth and our status and our level of importance in our own mind, we are spiritually bankrupt. But if we want to experience eternity with Jesus, we've got to be spiritually wealthy. And that leads me to the third thing I want you to notice, and that's the eternity of these two men. We've noticed their the status, their spiritual, their spiritual condition, and now I want you to notice, lastly, the eternity of these two men. Look with me in verse 22 again. It says, the poor man died... And he was carried, uh, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. 
So the first man we have is the poor man, right? And where did he get carried off to? Come on, come on. Where did he get carried off to? I just read it. Abraham's side. Now you're like, what in the world is Abraham's side? Well, let me just tell you quickly. Abraham was a patriarch in the Old Testament. He was one of the most honored, distinguishable men of all of Israel. I mean, people, when they look back to Abraham, he was like, he's Father Abraham. I mean, he's like this icon in the Jewish faith. And he was a man that was a man of great honor. And so to say that someone was at the side of Abraham was to say that you were given a place of honor. Basically, this idea of a place of honor is a place that Lazarus went. It was a place of comfort. It was a place of peace. It was a place of rest. It's basically a word picture of heaven and paradise. That's what it is. So when Lazarus dies, he's taken to heaven. But then we have the rich man. Look what happens to him. Verse 22 again. Let's look at this. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off with Lazarus at his side. He says here that he ended up in a place called Hades. Now, it's in this passage, in this verse, and in subsequent verses we're going to read, that we learn a lot about this place called Hades, or we're going to call it hell. And here's the first thing we learn. We learn that it is a real place. And I want you to write this down. Hell is a real place. Because when you look at the word Hades, if you were to track that word down, if you were to chase it down, look at the etymology of the word, here's what you would find out. It means a dark place or the abode of the wicked, some would say. Abode is a place. So what Jesus is establishing right out of the gate, here's a rich man who didn't need me, who didn't love me, who didn't pursue me. He wanted the world what it offered, but didn't want anything to do with God. And he ended up in a real place. Listen to me, folks. Hell is a real place. It is. Now, I know when we talk about sharing our faith with people, we want to talk about heaven. And I want to talk about heaven. I want to talk about the streets of gold. I want to talk about seeing Jesus. And some of you are like, well, I can't wait to see Grandma and Grandpa. Look, I can't wait to see Jesus. I mean, he's the one I want to see over everybody else. I can't wait to see my dad. He's second. But Jesus is definitely first on my list. I mean, I can't wait for that moment. And we want to talk about that. But we also, as believers, need to understand that if someone doesn't go to heaven, where are they going to go? We're going to go to hell, and we need to understand that hell is a real, real place. It's not a figment of our imagination. It's not just kind of a, you know, it's not as good as heaven, so it's kind of bad. No, no, no. It is a terrible place, but it's a real place. And then look what he says next about hell in verse 22 through 24 again. Let's read that again. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades... Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham, the far of Lazarus, at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames. Hell is not only a real place. Listen, hell is a place of torment. It's a place of torment. Did you pick up on what the rich man asked Abraham to do? Could you tell Lazarus, I'm in so much pain, could you tell Lazarus just to dip the tip of his finger in water and to touch the tip of my tongue, and somehow that will give me momentary relief? Can you imagine being in such anguish that a simple drop of water, you might think that would actually bring you cooling of your body, cooling of your mouth? Can you think about that? Now, what picture is Jesus painting here? Well, hell is a place of torment. 
I mean, one commentator, one scholar said this, and I love this. David Kuzek said this, that hell is a place of punishment without pity. It's a place of misery without mercy. And it's a place of torture that will never, ever, ever end. Now, I'm not trying to you guys to go, well, this is a Debbie Downer day today, Doug. I, I don't want to be. But listen, we've got to come to grips that just as heaven is real, the beauty of heaven the, the vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 with, of what we're going to see when we get there, that is incredible. Also, there's a real place called hell. And it's just as real. And it is, listen, it's not, it's not like Club Med down there. It's a place of torment. There is no mercy down there. There is no pity down there. And there is no end to the torture that goes on in a place called hell. But you know, it kind of it's interesting what Jesus said, because he kind of adds even greater misery to the torture when he says, and Abraham, I mean the rich man, saw Abraham up there and he saw Lazarus by his side. It was as if the rich the poor the rich man could see a glimpse into what he was missing out on. Can you imagine that? I mean, some of you suffer from the disease of FOMO, right? The fear of missing out, right? Some of you, like when somebody's doing something, you got to know. I mean, you got to know. You got to be part of it. Like we were always to joke with Kelsey who was here because she had that bag. Because she was like, if somebody's doing something, everybody's got to know what's going on. And some of us that, can you imagine being the place the rich man was? And no, that's what I'm missing out on. I'm missing out on being in the presence with the Lord because I chose the earthly wealth instead of choosing him. It is a place of torture. Let me tell you another thing about hell that we see. It's this. It's that it's no respecter of persons. Look at me in verse 25. But Abraham said, child... Remember that your life, in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Listen, our earthly status doesn't ever bring eternal reward. You know, I was reading this last week. I was just reading some things and just learning. And, and you remember Steve Jobs, right? The creator of the whole Apple dynasty, basically, the participant in that. And then you got Bill Gates. But I was reading about Steve Jobs, about his view of God. And his daughter actually wrote a book where she talks about asking her dad about his religion. Do you believe in God? And, and she said she was in, I think it was in Japan when they, she was on a field trip, which can you imagine that would be a great field trip, take your kids on, right? She was in Japan, and he shows up, takes her away from the field trip to spend the day with her. And she says, Dad, I've been thinking, you know, I want to know, you know, you're, you're the, the president of this massive company. You've done all this cool stuff. You're like the most brilliant genius mind in the world. And, you know, do you believe there's a God? And it says that she, he got down on the knee and he began to draw some circles. And he began to talk about, yeah, I believe in a higher power, but I believe it's more like a higher consciousness. And he said it was in that moment that she realized that her dad did not believe in the God that she had learned about. Now, do you think because Bill Gates had all these accomplishments and had more money in the bank than you and I could ever dream of having, that somehow or another he got to skip his eternal punishment and get into heaven? Do you think his earthly status dictated his eternity? No. And let me say it another way. I hear this. Well, Doug, it's not about wealth. What about, you know, I hear this all the time, and I've talked to people like this, and I've known people like this. Well, Doug, well, it's not, well, forget about wealth, but what if my earthly status is that I'm just a good person? How many of you know good people? Come on. How many know good people? Yeah, I've known good people. In fact, I grew up with a kid. His name was Ricky Griffin. He was one of the best people I ever known. I mean, if you needed the shirt off of his back, he would give it to you. I mean, this guy was the most giving, loving person I ever knew in my life. But listen, just because you're a good person, and by the world standards, because the Bible says no one is good, right? 
But if you're good by the world standards, does that automatically guarantee you access into heaven? No. See, our earthly status does not dictate eternal reward. What dictates our eternity is, what have you done with Jesus? Do you believe and trust or not? Now, in this particular story, this guy had sold his soul out for the almighty dollar, and now he's going to pay all eternity the consequences. Just know this about hell. Yeah, it's a place of torment, but it's not a respecter of persons. You will be held accountable. And let me give you a fourth thing about hell, and it's this, is that it's an eternal place. Look at me in verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm, and it's been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and those who may want to cross from there to us cannot. So in other words, he's what he says, there's a great chasm between heaven and hell. There's a great chasm. And once you've made your decision, and once you've been allotted where you're going, there's no way to cross over. So those in heaven, and nor would you want to, will never cross over into hell. And those who are in hell will never cross over into heaven. It is an eternal place. Now hear me on this. The Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. That when we pass from this life into the next, we will be judged. And here's what we'll be judged on. Not your good works, not, how, not any of the stuff you think you're going to be judged on. First and foremost, you're going to be judged on what did you do with Jesus? Did you put your faith in him alone as the only way to have eternal life? And if you did that, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. And if you didn't do that, cast away from me forever, for I never knew you. Right? And it's an eternal place. And once we pass from this life to the next, our decision's been made. There, listen, there are no reversals. There's no mulligans, no do-overs, no second chances. We have to make our decision while we're living in this world. Hell is the eternal place. And let me give you one more thing that Jesus says here about hell. And it's found in verse 27 through 31. Then we'll close. It says this. And then he said, talking about the rich man, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers. They, they may be warned, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And then he said, no, Father. But if someone goes that has been raised from the dead, they will repent. Now, what is the heart of this guy? I don't want my siblings to get here. And Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the, and the prophets, neither will they be convinced by someone even if they were raised from the dead. Let me tell you one more thing about hell that you've never thought of before, but I want you to write it down, and I hope it sticks in your mind and you never forget it. You ready? Hell is filled with evangelists. I want you to write it down. Hell is filled with evangelists. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Did you notice this guy's heart? I'm here in torment, no second chances. Would you please go tell my brothers? I beg you to go tell my brothers. I don't want my family to experience what I'm experiencing. And he said, would you please go tell them? And Father Abraham was like, listen, we've already sent the prophets to them. We've already sent, there was Moses. I mean, I mean, God has spoken over and over and over again, and they're not listening. If they're not going to listen to him, what makes you think they're going to listen to anything else? Well, would you send someone resurrected from the dead? No, that doesn't work that way, rich man. If they're not going to listen to what God has already done, what makes you think they're going to listen to a guy who's been resurrected from the dead? They won't listen. And the rich man basically is basically saying, I want my brothers to be spared of the torment that I'm going through. 
Now, here's one thing I believe about hell as it relates to this point. I believe there are no unbelievers in hell. They just believe too late. They just believe too late. See, I think hell are filled with evangelists. Filled with people that realize what they've missed and what they're experiencing and would give anything to speak to us today and say, would you go tell your family members? Would you go tell your loved ones? Would you go tell your co-workers? See, I believe with everything in me, anybody that you can think of, the worst person in the world who's the greatest sinner who didn't know Christ that might be occupying hell right now, I believe they're the greatest of believers down there. They just waited till they're in hell to start believing because now they realize what they're missing. Now they realize that heaven is real and so is hell. And so hell is filled full of a bunch of evangelists. They believed, and they believe, but it's just too late. Now as we look at this passage, we have a wealthy, or a poor man who's eternally rewarded because he's spiritually wealthy. And we have a rich man who's eternally condemned because he was spiritually bankrupt. And he was condemned, listen, to a real place with real torment for all eternity. And now he's at a place where he's begging for people to share with his family members. Let me just ask you a question this morning. If you possibly knew someone that didn't know Christ and they passed away, do you think today if they could speak to you, they would say the same thing that this guy is saying? Do you think, what do you think? Do you think he would, they'd be saying the same? If, if, if the Lord would allow hell to open for a moment and people that we know that may have gone there, we don't know who's there, but people that maybe we know that are there, do you think they would be saying the same thing to us that if I can't find relief, would you go tell my family? Would you go tell my friends? Do you think they might say the same thing to us? Come on, church, do you think they would say that? I do. And so my question is, will you let the reality of hell motivate you to share your faith with somebody? Because yes, we want people to go to heaven, but we don't want them to go there. A place of torment, of agony, an eternal place where there's no second chances, no do-overs, no mulligans. Their attorney and their fate is sealed when they leave this life and pass into the next and they don't know Christ. Well, we let this motivate us. This last week I was talking to Rachel. We were talking about the sermon and she reminded me of a video probably many of you have seen before. I've seen it one time and it's a video of two of the greatest magicians of our day, Penn and Teller. You probably know who they are. And Penn is telling a story. And Penn is a, is a professing atheist. He's probably more agnostic. He doesn't know what he believes, but he's a professing atheist. And he's talking about Christianity and faith. And here's basically this 15-minute video I'm going to summarize in about 15 seconds. Here's basically what he said. If you really believe, Christian, what you say you believe, if you really believe there's a heaven and a hell, and you really believe that Jesus is the only way to get there by putting our faith in him, if you really believe this stuff, and you're unwilling to tell people, isn't that as if you hated that person? And how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? I tell you, that wrecks me a little bit. Doesn't it you? That if I really believe what we're talking about this morning and I refuse to tell someone, it's as if I'm hating that person. And so I just want to ask you this morning as a church, will you let this motivate us to share our faith? And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, man, I don't know, what you, you know, Doug, I, I don't know that I know Christ. Well, do you know for sure? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Has there been a moment in everybody's life, has there been a moment when you realize that Jesus loves you, that your sin has separated you from God? 
And you can't on your best day, in your best clothes, with your best attitude and your best works, earn your way to God. Earn your way to forgiveness. But God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And if we put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven, and our eternity is secure with him in heaven. Do you know beyond a shadow, everyone from this side of the room to this side of the room, and to the back, way back there, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you're going to spend eternity? See, if I didn't ask you that question, it was as if I didn't love you. But if you've never made that decision today, you can. Today, you can leave this school knowing that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus forever. In fact, in just a moment, when I pray, we're going to sing one more song, and we're going to have Jason and Kelly are going to be over here, and Pat and Willie are going to be over here. If you need to talk to someone, and I'll be right over somewhere, I'll be right there. And if you need to talk to someone, we'd love to talk to you. But listen, don't leave this place not knowing. Because you don't know when death's going to knock on your door. You don't. And what you decide about Jesus in this life will determine where you spend eternity. So do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you're going when you die? And then the second thing I want to ask you is maybe some of you in the room go, you know what, Doug? I do know. I know that where I'm going when I die, but you know what? I've never made that public. I've never declared it. I've never made a public profession that I'm a follower of Jesus, meaning you've never been baptized. You've never, since the moment you got saved, after that, you've never had a moment where you truly went in and said, I want the world to know that I'm following Christ. And maybe you need to follow in that obedience. You need to grab that blue card that's in one of your rows there and say, you know, the response is today, I want to make sure that I'm baptized. I want the world to know that I'm following Christ. If you want to do that today, would you make that decision? But for the rest of us that are believers, I guess here's what I would ask you. Would we let this reality about eternity and a reality about hell motivate us to share our faith? See, my prayer is simple this morning, that we as believers would make a commitment today to invest in people, to invite people to church, but to share the best news we've ever heard. In fact, on all of your chairs today, you found one of these, the best news tracks. If you didn't find one, you'll find them on the way out. Would you take that? If you really believe this, would you share it with somebody today? So if you need to accept Christ, do that. If you need to make a new commitment to the Lord, do that. If you need to be baptized, let us know. We love to do that. But wherever the Lord is leading you this morning, would you just be faithful to respond? Jason and Kelly be over there. Pat and Willie be over here. They would love to pray with you. Just, they don't have to know your junk. You just say, I need you to pray for me. Or, hey, I need to make a decision. They would love to talk to you this morning. All right? Let's all stand together. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand, every head bowed, and every eye closed. And let's pray together. God, I love you. And I know this is not a fun topic, Lord. We want to dream and think and meditate on the beauty of heaven. And Lord, I want to do that. There's not a moment that I see a sunrise or a sunset that I'm not reminded that those things pale in comparison to the beauty and the majesty of what heaven will be like. So I know we want to dream about those things, Lord, but today, I just feel like your spirit was leading us that we need to talk about the reality of a place called hell too. A place that is real. A place that is filled with torment. In fact, in other places in Scripture, Lord, you say it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place that is eternal. And God, what I hope we get as Christians in the room today is the last thing the rich man did when he begged Father Abraham to go tell his family. 
God, I think if we could hear the cries of those in hell right now, we would hear the cries of them screaming to us to go let their family members know. Go let their loved one know. Let their co-workers know because they don't want people they loved and care about to experience what they're experiencing right now. And Lord, I praise believers that would motivate us to get off our couches, to get out of our comfort zones, and be willing to be used by you to share the best news ever with anybody we come in contact with. And that God, maybe I pray for that person today that has never trusted you. And they've understood today for the first time that if they leave this world not trusting you, they have an attorney that awaits them, and today they caught a glimpse of what that's going to look like. And God, I pray maybe today someone would say yes to Jesus. I don't want to scare them into that decision, Lord, but I want them to wrestle with it. So God, would you speak to those hearts? And God, maybe there's somebody here today that needs to make their faith public by baptism. Would you give them the courage to fill out that form and say, I want to do this? Lord, I believe your Holy Spirit is moving today. I believe he's working this moment. And I pray for us that we would make whatever decision necessary. Wherever you're convicting us, we would respond. Well, Lord, ultimately, I pray that what we've learned today would motivate us to go be evangelists and to go out and to share the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, as the Lord leads you, Jason and Kelly are here, Pat and Willie right here through the curtains. I'll be standing right there. If you need prayer, if you need to make a decision, please let us know. Don't leave today wondering, doubting, uncertain. Know today when you leave that if death were to knock on your door, the first face I'm going to see is Jesus. Let that be your anthem this morning. So if you need to make a decision, we're here to lead you in that. And anything else, if you want to pray about sharing your faith, this altar is open. However you need to respond, just be faithful to do it as we worship.